This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. All right, good morning, everyone. Thanks for being here. Please open your Bibles with me to 2 Samuel chapter 15. 2 Samuel chapter 15. If you're here and you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, if you'll raise your hand, our ushers will bring you a, a Bible, and you can have that, take it home with you, and follow along as we read 2 Samuel. In the Old Testament, we're in a series on 1 and 2 Samuel. Today we'll be in chapter 15 for Advent. 2 Samuel 15, we'll begin reading in verse 13, and we'll read down through verse 31. This is God's Word, infallible, inspired, given to us for our instruction. 2 Samuel 15, 13, and a messenger came to David, saying, the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. And David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly, and bring down ruin on us, and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king decides. So the king went out and all his household after him, and the king left ten concubines to keep the house. And the king went out and all the people after him, and they halted at the last house. Verse 18. And all his servants passed by him, and all the Carathites and all the Palathites and all the 600 Gittites who had followed him from Gath passed on before the king. The king said to Ittai the Gittite, Why do you also go with us? Go back and stay with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your home. You came only yesterday, and shall I today make you wander about with us since I go I know not where? Go back and take your brothers with you, and may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. But I answered the king, as the Lord lives, and as my Lord the king lives, wherever my Lord the king shall be, whether for death or for life, there also will your servant be. And David said to Ittai, go then, pass on. So Ittai the Gittite passed on with all his men and all the little ones who were with him. And all the land wept aloud as all the people passed by. And the king crossed the brook Kidron and all the people passed on toward the wilderness. And Abiathar came up, and behold, Zadok came also with all the Levites, bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God until the people had all passed out of the city. And then the king said to Zadok, carry the ark of God 
back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer? Go back to the city in peace with your two sons, Ahimaaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait at the fords of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. So Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. Verse 30. And David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up, weeping as they went. And it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, Oh Lord, please, Turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. There is always hope for you in the Lord. It's the main point. I believe the Lord wants to impress on us this morning from this text. There is always hope for you in the Lord. These chapters in 2 Samuel, towards the end of the book, are filled with Stories, wonderful, interesting stories. This is a story of rebellion in David's kingdom. There will be another rebellion. It's one of the best bits of history writing in the Bible. It's, it's just filled with gripping stories. It's filled with characters that you will never forget once you learn them. It, it's filled with this sadness it, that almost exudes from the pages all along the way. And as we follow David during this Advent season, we're celebrating the coming of Christ and considering his birth around Christmas time. We want to think about, as we read about David, we want to think about Jesus. How, how David's greater son fulfills all that we're reading about King David and what he experienced. Absalom's betrayal of his father, it, it prefigures, it anticipates Judas's betrayal of Jesus. David's sorrow, it prefigures, it anticipates the sorrow of Christ as he left Jerusalem and prays in Gethsemane. And our, our text is going to illuminate that during this Advent season very well for us. Speaking of great stories, I'm, I'm amazed at how many people have never seen It's a Wonderful Life. I tell this story thinking, now oh, this will be boring. Everybody's heard it before. But then I talk to people, they have no idea what I'm talking about. They don't know who Jimmy Stewart is. If you haven't seen it, and you do watch it later based on my recommendation here, don't assume I commend everything in the film, okay? But it does tell a story 
that encourages us not to jump off a bridge when we are in despair. And I think that's a good message. It's a movie about the answered prayers of a little girl whose dad is in trouble. You got a problem with that? In the movie, Jimmy Stewart plays George Bailey, who runs a small bank, just so folks won't have to go crawl into Potter for a loan or a place to keep their money. It's always a challenge. It's a small business. George famously and sarcastically says at one point, oh yeah, it's another red letter day, the Bailey building and loan, one of my favorite quotes. But at one point things are looking up when forgetful old Uncle Billy, of course, accidentally hands $8,000 to Potter himself and of course, Mr. Potter's glad to steal their money. And George says to Uncle Billy when they're in trouble, where's that money, you silly, stupid old fool? Where's that money? You realize what this means? Bankruptcy and scandal and prison. And so then we find George in a bar, the picture of despair. And in that moment, he cries out to the Lord. And he says, dear Father in heaven, I'm not a praying man, and he's crying. He says, but if you're up there and you can help me, show me the way. Show me the way. Now, if you're near my son, Will, right now he's crying. He always cries. It's, it's, it's a wonderful life. That's why we watch it every year and watch him cry. <laughs> Earlier, George was anxious about all that was going on, and he yells at his daughter's teacher, and then the, the, the teacher's husband is in this bar and when George is praying and just as he concludes his prayer, someone says his name. Right after his prayer and this angry man hits George Bailey and knocks him down and he gets a famous bloody lip and George's friends all help him up. He shakes him off and he says, that's what you get for praying. At that point, he thinks all he has left is a life insurance policy. So with the encouragement of Mr. Potter himself, he goes to the bridge. He's about to jump when he is rescued by an unbiblical angel named Clarence. <laughs> a Hollywood angel, a, a disgrace to angels everywhere. But he does rescue poor George, and he gets his wings, which is not biblical. Every time you hear a bell ring, it does not mean an angel gets his wings. And he leaves George a quote in a copy of Tom Sawyer that is read as George's friends are pouring in. I'm crying with more money than George needs to escape bankruptcy and scandal in prison. It says, Dear George, remember, no man is a failure who has friends. Will is crying again right now, if you're near him. My point is, is that losing hope is not an insignificant matter. And you get more than a busted lip when you pray. And true friends are more valuable than money. It's a wonderful life when you live that life in the goodness of the gospel. There's always hope. There's always hope for you. There are two elements of this story we can relate to. I'm talking about the biblical story. 
And there's one element that's an invitation to us. Number one, we can relate to deep sorrow and despair. We can relate to deep sorrow and despair. And I even felt today during our time of prophetic ministry there that the Lord wants to really encourage some of you who are sorrowful today. We're going to have a prayer time at the end of the meeting and I want you to come and be prayed for. I think he wants to help you. Verse 13 says, A messenger came to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. At least it seems to to this messenger that all of the people, the vast majority of the people, have joined the rebellion. David's son, Absalom. Our text begins and ends with David receiving news. It's all trouble. And it's all the consequences, remember, of David's crimes, his sins, and his failures in in chapter 11. He's, He's now experiencing the consequences we talked about. Even though forgiven, there were consequences. He was, he's reaping what he's sown, and he's forced to flee the city of David. Absalom is not a loyal son. So when, when a messenger comes and says the people joined him, it's not good news. He's become a dangerous and violent enemy. David copied the kings of his days. He, he ignored God's commands about polygamy and harems. He gave his sinful nature an opportunity. His, to say his family was a multi-family household is an understatement, and divisiveness was inevitable. And his sinful collapse with Bathsheba and Uriah left him without the moral stature to deal with the problems that were caused by his son's sexual sins. His oldest son raped his half-sister, it was his younger son's, Absalom's full sister, and Absalom took vengeance. David mishandled the whole thing. And as, as we have seen, this is in the context of his irresponsibility, his love of comfort and ease. He failed in his duties. And it all opened the way for this coup, this rebellion. None of this was lost on David. He's a broken man. At one point... If you look over in chapter 16, verse 9, at one point there's a man who is cursing him. The, the, the former king, the ousted king, the exiled king. There's a man, Shimei, who is cursing David. When this happened, verse 9 says, Abishai, the son of Zariah, says to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. But David, the king, says, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? If he's cursing because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then shall say to him, why have you done so? And, And David said to Abishai and all his servants, behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite leave him alone, let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. David's a broken man. In his sin, he looks like King Saul, if you remember King Saul, until he's confronted by Nathan. And then David says, I've I've sinned against the Lord. And we learn he's not like Saul. He's a broken man. 
Back in chapter 15, verse 14, David said to all his servants who were with him, Arise, let's flee. No escape from Absalom. He's coming. Absalom is coming. And what he's going to do is he's going to besiege the city. He's going to blockade it. And it's, it's time to evacuate. It's a strategic move by David. He knows what it's like. When a city is under siege, he knows the citizens are going to suffer unimaginably to us. And he doesn't want to see that happen. And he also knows he's very good in the wilderness. He's very good at guerrilla warfare. David, Absalom has awakened a sleeping giant. David has been lax, but no more. He's going to leave. He's taking the people out of Jerusalem strategically. And he's going to fight on. And Absalom doesn't have a chance. He knew how to fight there. But he's become a fugitive again. It's back to fleeing. Back just like when Saul was out to, to get him. Psalm 3, the title of Psalm 3 says this, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. So it's very instructive for this moment. It tells us what is going on deep within David at this moment. Verse 1 and 2, Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul. This is what they're saying about David. There's no salvation for David in God. There's no salvation. Have you ever felt like that? So, again, in verse 14, he says, Absalom's coming, and he's coming to bring down ruin on us. And David knows this is the evil the Lord promised that would come as a consequence of his sin. It's going to come from his own house. It's the result of all the evil that David had done. Absalom was the sword that the Lord declared was going to come, and David knows it. George Bailey's in trouble, but it's Uncle Billy's fault. David's in trouble, but it's David's fault. And he knew why he was experiencing this. And so he says, arise, let's flee. And when you hear those words, you need to remember Jesus' words, recorded in a number of places in the gospel, where he says to his disciples from this spot, rise and let us go from here. Our text is anticipating Jesus heading for the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus fulfills what David prefigures. Jesus knew he was about to do what David had done when he left the city and crossed the brook Kidron. His experience was the fulfillment of everything anticipated in David's story. It's very enlightening. Verse 23, all the land wept aloud as all the people passed by and the king crossed the brook Kidron and all the people passed on towards the wilderness. Everybody knew the significance of that little brook. They knew what it meant David's 
great kingdom was falling. It was dividing. David was going to be a fugitive again. So we, we can relate to the sadness. All the land, verse 23, all the land wept. It, it felt like the land itself, the promised land that God had given the people, the land itself was weeping. Everyone was feeling this unbearable loss. It was a dark day. It was a day of sadness. Israel was rejecting her king. David had many reasons to weep. His circumstances could hardly be worse. He was responsible. And this brook was a boundary marker. It had meaning when you crossed it. You were, when you crossed that brook, cast out of Jerusalem. As readers of 2 Samuel, we're supposed to know that. We're supposed to feel that. There is a, a reference and only one reference to this brook in the New Testament. John 18, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken this word, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, which he and his disciples entered. All, all the Gospels, writers, make this point. Jesus came to his own and his people didn't receive him. Like David, he's rejected by his own people. John 18 is a deliberate allusion to the account of David's departure. The Bible has many human authors, but it has one author behind it all. God. And we, we want to learn why God gave us the Bible. And we want to read the whole Bible to, to learn the full story. It's one connected story. Now, I, I find when things like this come to my attention, it's amazing how it affects my attitude towards the Scripture. John Piper recently wrote about college students that their attitudes toward the Bible is the watershed issue of their life. Their attitude toward the Bible it's going to decide more than anything else the outcome of their lives. Their attitude towards the Bible. God's Word originates with Him. It shares His character. It carries His authority. We, we learn about Him. We learn about His plans. We learn about His will, His purposes. We, we should treasure the Bible. And when we see how it fits together this morning like this, it helps us understand Advent, the coming of Christ. But it also helps us understand God's book. All the people pass toward the wilderness. Now, if you're a study of a, stu a student of, of Scripture, when you hear the word wilderness, You're going to be reminded of a period in Israel's history. In other words, going the other direction in the Bible. 
a period when they had no place, they had no land. They had a promise of land, but they had no land, they had no security, and they wandered in the wilderness. Ever heard of the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness? The Bible is one connected story. Nothing could emphasize the end of David's kingdom, the loss of everything, more vividly than David crossing the brook Kidron toward the wilderness. It was over. And so we understand verse 30, David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot, head covered, which was a sign of mourning. All the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up weeping as they went. All the land was weeping. They were mourning. We can understand this. We know what it is to experience despair and hopelessness. Everybody, everybody experiences it to some degree. In our culture, it's a problem. Suicide is a serious and growing problem in our culture. Do you know that in our, our country alone, 123 people commit suicide in the United States every day on average. And in Tennessee, suicide rates have increased almost 25% in the last couple years. There's a song by a group that I know nothing about, but they wrote about suicide. It's called A Little Bit of Everything. It goes like this, with, with his back against the San Francisco traffic on the bridge's side that faces towards the jail, setting out to join a demographic. Suicide statistics. He hoists his first leg up over the rail, and a phone call's made, police cars show up quickly, sergeant slams his passenger door, and he says, hey son, why don't you talk through this with me? Just tell me what you're doing it for. Oh, it's a little bit of everything. It's the mountains. It's the fog. It's the news at 6 o'clock. It's the death of my first dog. That'll do it right there. It's the angels up above me. It's the song they don't sing. It's a little bit of everything. Then he says, an older man stands in a buffet line. He's smiling, holding out his plate. And the further he looks back into his timeline, that hard road always had led him to today. And making up for when his bright future had left him. Making up for the fact that his only son was gone. Letting everything out at once. His server asked him, have you figured out yet what it is you want? He's staring off into space. Yeah, I want a little bit of everything. The biscuits and the beans. Whatever helps me to forget about the things that brought me to my knees. So pile on those mashed potatoes like a good middle-aged man. And an extra chicken wing, I'm having a little bit of everything. Losing hope is not an insignificant matter. We can relate to sadness. But you know what? You get more than a busted lip when you pray. And true friends are more valuable than money. Don't despair this morning. Don't despair. If you can relate to what's being communicated in that song, come to Christ.
There is hope for you. The second thing we can relate to in this narrative here in 2 Samuel 15 is the gift of a true friend. Even when we're lonely, even when we feel friendless, that reveals what a gift it is. Verse 15 says, The king's servants said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king decides. Man, when your own son is leading a rebellion, can you imagine how that felt? That David's servants who were with him in Jerusalem remained faithful? David was still their king and they have the courage to stay with him when it isn't popular? And then they, they go out, verse 17, they went out, all the people after him, and they stop at the last house. It's a gripping story. It's full of pathos. They just pause. They think about the moment. King David is leaving. He's crossing the brook Kidron. He's leaving the city of David. We've seen in 2 Samuel the celebration as he came into the city. As he brought the Ark of the Covenant into the city. They must have been thinking of all the glorious times in the city where God's presence dwelt, where God's people were, where God's king was. Verse 18, all his servants, they passed by, the Carathites, the Pelathites, 600 Gittites who had followed him from Gath. They passed before the king. They halted at the last house. Gittites, the men from Gath. The way it's written in the Hebrew captures one thing about these men. Loyalty. They were men who had joined up with David when he had gone to Gath during the dark days when he was fleeing from Saul. Gath, they are, they're Philistines who throughout First and Second Samuel are the enemies of Israel. They've been at war with Israel the whole time. All 600 men from Gath, all 600 Philistines, march past him. Note especially verses 19 through 22 where David addresses Ittai and all the other men. They're already exiles from Gath. They'd only joined David recently. So he's, he's saying to them, maybe you should link up with Absalom. <laughs> maybe you should stay with him. I don't even know where I'm going. Now I'm going to be in exile. Are you going to be in exile from exile? Maybe under their unique circumstances... They should stay with Absalom. He would understand. I'm still going to love you. You're still going to be my friend. There's no strings attached. In fact, because I care about you, I, I think you might want to just stay here. Most people take the offer. Why do you go with us? Verse 19, go back, stay with the king. You're a foreigner. 
and also in exile from your home. You came only yesterday, and shall I today make you wonder about with us since I go I know not where? Why do you go with us? It's a play on Ittai's name because his name sounds like with me. This man's name is loyal, companion, friend. And David is saying, you don't have to live up to your name. With me, you don't have to go with me. Go back, take your brothers. It's not a good time to be my friend. Not a good time to be with me. Good time to leave me. Everybody else did. All the men of Israel. My countrymen. I'm their king. Wouldn't do it. You ever had a friend like that? When my son was 10, we gave him a bike for his birthday. He still can't ride a bike. And this bike was way too big for him at 10. He definitely couldn't ride that bike. But we went on a father-son camping trip with some friends. Every boy in there could ride that bike, and it was a brand new bike, and it was his birthday, and they were having a blast. And he would get on it, and it was very shaky. And as his dad, my heart was going out to him. I thought what an idiot I was for buying a bike too big for him. I should have worked with him. I could tell it was getting to him. All his friends just tearing all over the place on his new bike, and he can't even ride it without embarrassing himself. Then we all decided we were at Cades Cove, so we, if you're familiar with it, there's a, there's a one-lane road, 11 miles long. You can go on a bike ride. Of course, that was the thing to do if you weren't a little shaky on your brand-new birthday bike. So we took off riding. Everybody took off, left him in the dust. And that, that worst imaginable thing happened to him. He had to ride alone with his dad. I felt bad, still feel bad. We came around the corner at one point, all his friends were gone. Nobody there, just me and him, except for one man. <laughs> Can't tell this story. Matthew Bowman, give it up for Matthew Bowman. He's not here, but he's a legend for this story alone, which has been told hundreds of times. He was coming back to look for his friend. It was a great moment. I was able to put my arm around my son and say, now that is a true friend. And it's a gift we can relate to. That's a somewhat silly illustration compared to what David was experiencing. Imagine what Ittai meant to David. Imagine. Imagine. In verse 31, it was told David, 
Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. Ahithophel was David's trusted counselor. Chapter 16 says, Now in those days the counsel of Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God. So all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed both by David and by Absalom. But now he too betrayed David. He's among the conspirators. He'd gone over to Absalom. Psalm 41 is understood as a reference to this man's betrayal. Even my close friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. And Jesus applied those words to the most infamous traitor in history, Judas Iscariot. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. David's sufferings anticipated Christ's sufferings. One of them was the rebellion, the betrayal of a friend. Proverbs says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a, a brother. The point isn't this morning that we size up our friends and get depressed because we don't have any. The point is for you to be that kind of friend. It's for me to be a true friend. That's the point. I want to be Ittai. I don't want to be Ahithophel. I'm not talking about someone that gets invited to game parties or invites people to games, game parties who's cool and popular or gifted. I'm talking about a biblical, true friend. Steadfast, loyal, serves the Lord, like the Lord, is like the Lord, who has the courage to stay with someone when the current of events takes everybody else away. Ittai said, I'm going I'm to serve the Lord and I'm going to serve you as long as you serve the Lord. I'm going to follow you as you follow Christ, to use New Testament words. We can relate to the gift of friendship. Finally, there's one element in this story that's an invitation. It's we're, we're invited to pray. We're invited to pray. In verse 24, it says, Abiathar came up, and behold, Zadok came also with all the Levites bearing the Ark of the Covenant. And they set down the Ark of God until the people had all passed out of the city. But then the king says, carry the Ark of God back into the city. He insists it goes back to the city. Why did he do that? Well, he says, if I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he'll bring me back. So you leave the Ark of the Covenant of God where God dwells on this holy hill in Jerusalem, the city of David. Because if I find favor with the Lord, I'm coming back. And nothing can stop me. 
But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, let him do what seems good to me. And that, that should remind you of Jesus who was almost in this exact same spot when he said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. David was trusting the Lord. He knew the Lord could bring him back. Verse 31, it's told him, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David immediately prays, Lord, please, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. This is his prayer. Verse 32 says, While David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped, behold, Hushai the archite came to meet him, who in verse 37 is said to be David's friend. Verse 32 is an immediate answer to the prayer of verse 31. George Bailey is wrong. This, this is what you get when you pray. You get an answer to your prayer, the very thing that you need. People were saying, the Lord is not going to save David. There is no salvation for David in God. He had enemies. They looked at what had happened. They believed. And David couldn't argue with them. It's all his fault. His, his troubles are self-inflicted. Aren't those the worst? His troubles are self-afflicted. He agrees with his enemies to some degree. The Lord shouldn't save me. Everybody thought the Lord had abandoned David. Many thought his sin had exhausted the grace of God. He was beyond help. God would not answer his prayers, but David knew better. David knew the Lord is faithful. He's the friend you need. He's the friend. He will always stick with you. He's better than Matthew Bowman. He doesn't change even when our troubles are self-inflicted. The opportunity to pray always remains. There's always hope for you. Psalm 3 says, remember, this is a psalm titled for this moment, you, Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. Can you imagine sleeping in a moment like that? David slept. What did he do? He cried aloud to the Lord. And, and the Lord answered him. And he laid down and slept. I woke up again for the Lord sustained me. And I will not be afraid. Many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. There is always hope for you in the Lord. So much hope. 
You cast your burdens to the Lord and then you can go to sleep. And you can have a good night's sleep. Jesus went out with his disciples, crossed the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. One commentator said, so the darkest day in the history of the world began. You think David's day was dark. This day was darker. The sufferings of David illuminate the sufferings of Christ. The kingdom of David anticipates the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Our text, 2 Samuel, is written thousands of years, centuries earlier, 1,000 years before the Gospels. David left Jerusalem with all the people that hadn't joined Absalom, crossed the Kidron Valley and climbed the Mount of Olives, weeping, his head covered, barefoot. Things were dark, but they were darker in John 18. Jesus went out with his disciples from Jerusalem, he crossed the brook, he climbed the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane on the other side of the valley. For anyone who hoped that Jesus was the final king, that he was the long-promised son of David, that he was going to redeem Israel, this was the darkest day in history. He, he was following in the footsteps of David. And the gospel writers are very much aware of it when they told the story of Jesus Christ. Only his troubles were not self-inflicted. His troubles were inflicted by us, by you and me. He took our troubles on him as our substitute. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's why he was cast out of the city. Because of you and me. And he did it willingly. That's why he wept in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because of you and me. And that's why there is always hope for those who trust in Christ alone. There is always hope. We can always pray. We pray in his name that our joy may be full. Amen. Father, I pray this morning, especially for the one who's despairing, and I pray, Father, that they would be filled with hope. We're going to return now, Lord, to singing. And Lord, we're going to invite individuals up to come and be prayed for, and I pray this morning that you would manifest your presence that you would set people free. I pray for the one who's not a Christian this morning, who's never trusted in Christ, that they would come to you and be saved. I pray for the Christian who's despairing, that they'd be filled with hope. Most of all, Lord, we want to cast our burdens to you. This morning is evidence. It's an expression. We trust you. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, 
visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.